Today we are back in our Luke series. Last week we took a break uh, for Mother's Day. And, um, but we want to keep plugging away in Luke. And someday, like Matt jokes, you know, in three years or four years, we're going to get to the end. Um, but it's good. Luke for everyone, we call it. And we were ta- we've talked about how Luke is writing this gospel so that we all would know that this good news is for all of us. It's not for some of us. It's not for an elite group. It's for everyone. And uh, so we've, we've worked a little bit through so far, and where we've got to is Jesus has been traveling around, and he's been uh, healing many people, and he's been setting people free, and he's been preaching in the synagogues and in different places, and so people have heard about him. He's well known now in the areas he's been traveling, and uh, he's kind of going about the jubilee that he pro- proclaimed. Remember? We've talked about that as our name, that Jesus got up and said, this is what I'm about, jubilee. I'm bringing freedom, and I'm proclaiming for the captives and for hearts this freedom. And then he went about and started doing it. He's keeping his promises. Um, and then just the last time I shared, he was calling and choosing the 12 apostles or disciples, so his elite group that he was going to teach, and special, they were going to get special treatment, special teaching, and special attention so that they could carry on the church when he leaves. Um, And this morning, we are in a passage, we're in Luke uh, chapter 6, verses 20 to 26, and it's um, about the content of Jesus' message. And I've titled it, Inside, Outside, Upside Down. And if you read Dr., was it Dr. Zeus? No, it was the Berenstain Bears, wrote a book, one of my children's favorites, my my favorite as a child, Inside, Outside, Upside Down. No, you're looking at me blankly. Okay, well, go home and get this book. It will change your life. No, it won't. Um, And this is really about upside-down things. So I went to a soccer game this week. I went to the Whitecaps game. My friend Brian and I went. And yes, I got out. Yeah, I do do social things. Yeah, it was good. Okay, it was fun. We went to the game, and it was a really exciting game. In the first half, the Whitecaps pressed really hard against Chicago, and they were just shooting, 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 and they got a goal. And it was awesome. We all cheered. And then, but there were so many other chances, but they only got the one goal in the first half. And then in the second half, Chicago came out and they were like a different team. They just started pressing, 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 and they got a goal. And then they seemed like they were satisfied with getting one goal. And then they started trying to waste time. So they'd pick up the ball really slowly. And the Whitecaps started subbing on some of their attacking players. They were like, we want to win this game. We should have won this game. We're going to win this game. And so then they were attacking, attacking, attacking. And right down, it was the last two minutes of the game. And we're all on our feet. We're like, oh, what's going to happen? Come on, Whitecaps. And they're attacking, attacking. Miss, no, it didn't. No, it didn't go in. No, missed. Okay. And then suddenly the Whitecaps striker Baz Perez, he was running down and he's in front with the defender and they cross the ball in. It's coming in, but the defender's right there and they both, it looks like they're jumping up and suddenly this crazy thing happened. This should have been a header, right? You're jumping up, the ball's coming in and you head the ball in. This is what happened. He turned upside down in the air, this striker, and did what's called a bicycle kick, which is when you flip your whole body upside down and you kick the ball out of the air, and you're, so your head is down and your feet are up. And he did this over top of the defender, upside down, kicked the ball, and it went in the net, and we scored. And everyone in the stadium stood there and looked at it. And then the goalie was like, what? Like, that's not allowed? And then the entire stadium erupted. And then it was like he realized he'd done it. And he was like, yes! And then they ran around the field and cheered, and the Whitecaps won the game. It was awesome. 
this is what that sermon feels like. This is what that sermon feels like. Like you're, they're expecting Jesus to go for the header. That's what they're expecting. Oh, he's going to give us a good sermon. Okay, it's the header, right? It's the one. It's the gimme. There it is. Got to fight for the defender a little bit. And then Jesus does this upside down surprise bicycle kick. That's what it's like. I won't do it for you. I I could probably, but, you know, I don't want to seem too impressive. So I'll do it, you know, a different time. Um, So let's read this and see if you agree with me that this is like an upside down bicycle kick. Luke chapter 6, verses 20 to 26. You can read along in your Bible or I'll read it for you. Um, We also, we do have Bibles at the back. So if you come and you would like to read a Bible, you can grab one of those too. This is what it says. Luke chapter 6, verse 20 to 26. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you, and revile you, and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day, and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. For so their fathers did to the prophets. But, Woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. Bam! No, I don't know if they were cheering. My big idea this morning is being eternity-minded kingdom citizens means living inside, outside, upside down. Say it. Inside, outside. No, some of you are still looking at me. Inside, outside, upside down. I always hate it when preachers do that. But I have the microphone, so. Inside, outside. Kingdom citizens live Inside, outside. Kingdom citizens live inside, outside. There's this man who has everything. He has everything. He has houses in Florida and in Aspen for snowboarding, in the Bahamas, in the Virgin Islands, in Costa Rica, in Indianapolis, and just different cities. They're stocked and furnished houses, ready to go if he decides to go there. He has a Bentley, a couple Ferraris, brand new Mercedes, several fully loaded trucks, multiple other cars. He has several planes, as if you need different planes for different reasons. I don't know, but he does, including a Gulfstream jet. He's got boats, fishing boats, speed boats, yachts. He has servants, drivers, pilots, nannies, maids. He's approaching billionaire status. So he's a multi-multi-millionaire who's getting close to the billionaire line. Because of his business, foresight, and ingenuity, because of the, the empire he's built, this is happening for him. And so he buys whatever he wants. He does whatever he wants. He goes wherever he wants. This is what he does. I know this man exists because my brother was his personal pilot for a few years. This is a true story. 
And we might look at that man and we might say, he is blessed. He is blessed. Look at all the stuff he's got. Look at the freedom he's got. He is blessed. This is our problem. And we have a big problem. And the problem is a North American problem. It's a cultural problem. It's a Christian problem. This is the problem. It's about blessing. What does blessing look like? What does blessing feel like? This is the problem we have. For Israeli Jews of Jesus' day, blessing meant certain things. If you had children, you were blessed. They would say, oh, big family, you are blessed. If you don't have children, uh, what's wrong? Is Maybe God's not happy with you. Oh, and you would, it would be a big problem. People would look at it and say, are they cursed? I don't know, maybe they are. Another thing they would look at was your wealth. If you had, if you had wealth, you were blessed. If you were poor, they would say, eh, something's probably wrong. Maybe God's not blessing you. He's take, took his hand away from you. Health would be another one. If you were healthy, they would say, oh, God's blessing you. And if you were sick, they would say, eh. that was the guy who came and they, people said, oh, well, who sinned that this guy's sick? Because it must be that there's something on him that he's sick. The blessing was in health. Or freedom. So they would say when God was blessing Israel, they would say it's freedom. And when we're under the Roman Empire, we're under these different empires, we are definitely not under the blessing of God. And those were, some of those were described in the blessing and the cursing in the Old Testament. This is compounded by the fact that our, the spiritual life of, an, of a Jewish person in that day was measured, it was marked by something outward, by circumcision. That's how you demonstrated that you were in covenant with God. You would get circumcised. The men would get circumcised. So this was an outward mark. These were outward things that demonstrated God's blessing and demonstrated our relationship with God too. Now, our culture has a similar struggle. And the struggle is that we live outside in. We live outside in. And, and our theor- the, the way we think and the way we live usually out in the, in the world is that um, whatever looks good must be good. Whatever appears good must be good for me or for you, that we should invest in our image in the outside part at all costs. That means to wear the right clothes. It means to buy the right house, to drive the right car, to say the right thing, to have the right gadget, to have the right body. This is what we believe as a culture. And as a church, as a Christian church, not our, necessarily our church, but in the gen- church in general, this is our struggle too, is where is the blessing when things go bad? When things are hard, when things break. My parents had three appliances break this week. Two appliances? Two appliances and one son's leg. That was a pretty bad week. And the computer, three, okay, four. Lots of things breaking. So where's the blessing of God when things break? Or when we experience sickness? Or when finances aren't coming together? Or when there's conflict in our family or in our relationships? Or when we feel down and depressed, where's the blessing of God? When we're pushed to our limits, we'd say, where's the blessing of God? Where's God's blessing when it doesn't look like there's any blessing? Jesus teaches us something about blessing in this passage. So in this chapter, it records Jesus' first sermon in Luke. 
So this is also similar to a sermon in Matthew that's called the Sermon on the Mount. And so they call that the Sermon on the Mount, and this is the Sermon on the Plain because Jesus is in a level place. Level is the plain. That's the mountain. So commentators will say, well, because there's so many similarities, it seems like these were messages Jesus brought a lot. So when he was preaching, it says, oh, he preached in that synagogue, oh, he preached in that synagogue, he preached in that one, he preached in that town, and he went over there and proclaimed that good news over there. People say, well, does he say different things everywhere he goes? And some of the stuff he said he would repeat. He would give a message about the kingdom, about kingdom life to these people and to those people and to those people. So some of the messages have the similar strain in them. And so in Luke, we get these parts of it. And in Matthew, we see there's some other things to it as well. So how does Jesus describe the kingdom life blessings? This is what he says. Blessed are the poor, the hungry, the weeping, and the reviled. (laughs) How's that for a great list? Oh, I want that. For sure. Hungry, poor, weeping, reviled. Whoa, the warning goes to the rich, the full, the happy, and the well-respected. Like, I kind of am leaning more to that list, personally. Internally, I'll never admit it. I just did. Isn't that the list I'm pursuing? To be rich and full and happy and well-respected? How can they be blessed when all the descriptors are negative? When these are negative things associated with it. This is not the evaluation formula we've been using that Jesus is suddenly putting in front of us. In typical Jesus style, he challenges our evaluation, our perspective on things. See, if we were using that outside in, we would say, just like the Jews at that time would have said, circumcision meant spirituality. And they would have said health and wealth meant blessing. And Jesus turns it upside down. Paul says, though our outward self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Paul says, it's not the outward. That's wasting away, actually. It's the inward where Jesus is starting. And that's the good news. That Jesus establishes our freedom for our heart from sin and death and brings us into eternal life. That Jesus establishes a new law that's not written in a book somewhere. It's etched on the wall of our heart. That Jesus establishes a new kingdom whose king doesn't live out there somewhere. He lives in us by his spirit. And this means that the outside no longer is the evaluation. We're not looking at the outside and deciding whether we're blessed anymore. That's not the criteria. Kingdom citizens are blessed. There it is. I'll just tell you. If you are a kingdom citizen, and by that I mean if you surrendered your life to Jesus, if you said, yes, I will, you, you are my Lord, you're my Savior, I surrender my life to you and I want to live for you and in your kingdom, then you're a kingdom citizen. And that means that you are blessed. You are blessed. You are blessed. <laughs> Yeah, okay. Philippians 3, chapter 3, verses 6 to 8 says, Whatever gain I had, Paul says, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Blessing is evaluated now in different terms. First and foremost, it's evaluated in knowing Jesus. 
Paul says, everything else is lost to me except for knowing Jesus. That's where my blessing begins, and that's where my blessing is anchored in knowing Jesus, in knowing Jesus, inside, outside. Kingdom citizens live inside, outside. Say inside, outside. You didn't all say it. Inside, outside. Okay. See, I'm being a demanding preacher. And kingdom citizens live upside down. They live upside down. That's good. No, well, yeah, okay, yeah. New Year's, that's good. You say it. Upside down. See, you're getting into it. You're doing it on your own. That's awesome. In World War II, there was um, the, the Nazis occupied Europe. And in those countries that they occupied, there was these groups called the resistance, and they had different names in different countries. But the resistance was basically this group of people who lived by a different government. The government that was over them, the policies that they were supposed to follow, the laws of their land were now different. And they had this government and these policies and all this way they're supposed to live. And the resistance chose not to live according to those things, but to function and live according to a different government, a different system. Their allegiance was to a different country than the country that was over them. Now, if you looked at their life and what they were doing in any moment, like where they're sabotaging or they're spying, and you looked at that one little slice, you might say, well, what are they doing? Why are they working against their government? Why are they working against people in their country, their countrymen, their townspeople? It might seem that way. And yet, if you looked at the grand story, you would say, oh, it makes sense that their allegiance was with their actual country. And that they were occupied. And so they were working toward their freedom. Even though not everyone lived that way. We have a world system that's like that. It's kind of like we live in an occupied country. The world is like occupied territory. Where there's a system that hasn't changed that much over the many years. It takes different forms. But it really has the same values that come up again and again and again. And a few of them are, one of them would be image versus substance. The world will teach us a thousand different ways that our image is more important than the substance beneath it. That you should spend all your time and energy promoting that image and keeping that image going and making it look a certain way. We can do that. We've got lots of aids like Facebook and Twitter and all sorts of things that help us put out an image that may or may not be accurate. And the world actually would tell us like, don't make it accurate because, you know, just make it sound good and seem good. And that's what we're supposed to do. Maintain it at all costs. Another thing the world promotes is now versus later. Now versus later. They say instant gratification and consumer culture that's sold to us is like, this is our ideal. This is what we're after. That we should live for this moment. Do you need, do you want that thing? You need that thing. You should get it right now. Go get it. I don't, Paul, no, I don't mean go get it. No, I'm just kidding. Go get it, right? That's like now. You need it now. Not later, now. And that's the bill we're sold. Another one, a third thing. So image versus substance, now versus later. And a third one would be, I mean, there's lots of them, but a third one would be happiness versus surrender. Happiness versus surrender. And I've said this before that if you watch any, I almost guarantee you, any reality TV show, you will hear this on the season somewhere. I, I almost guarantee this. Someone will say to someone else, 
You deserve to be happy. You deserve to be happy. This is like something we say to each other all the time. Yeah, you deserve to be happy. I so unhappy. Yeah, you deserve to be happy. Just do whatever it takes to be happy right now. The problem is this is like a moving target. It's moving. It's kind of like when I was younger, I bought these Oakley sunglasses in Tijuana. They were so awesome. Oakley's, they were like 15 bucks. Oakley, they, it was good. Like good quality paint that rubbed off in a week. Counterfeit. It was just counterfeit. And we're sold these things like, oh, this is genuine. Oh, this is going to make you happy. Oh, this is the thing. It's just counterfeit goods. Do you remember when smoking was cool? Some of you don't remember. <laughs> and some of you do. Smoking used to be cool. There was a time where smoking was, it was sassy and it was smart. It was masculine and muscular. Guys are like on the edge and like got the cowboy hat and it was really awesome. And it was feminine and it was all sorts of, it was refined and stylish and trendy and vogue and, you know, it was awesome. In fact, people smoked everywhere. They smoked on buses. They smoked on car, in cars, in planes, in offices, in houses, everywhere you went. People were smoking. That was just what everyone did. Do you remember or do you know when they found out smoking was killing us and our children? But we couldn't stop. We couldn't stop even if we wanted to. We were addicted. This is the problem. We buy into the world system. And by the time we realize that it's leading us to death, we are addicted to it. We're invested in it. And it's really, really hard to let it go. Does your life, whether it's in theory or in practice, follow and live out after the world system? Do you buy into that, whether you admit it or not? Jesus teaches something that's really upside down. And even then it was upside down. Now now it's still upside down. There were all sorts of things Jesus said that were upside down. A few of them are the last is first. The greatest is the least. The master is the servant of all. Love your enemies. Obey out of love. Forgive those who wrong you. Paul talks about these same upside down concepts. Wisdom. There's wisdom in foolishness. There's strength in weakness. And on and on the list goes. And this, the sermon Jesus preaches here is basically it is that upside down. The first thing he talks about is being poor. There's blessedness in being poor. And the benefit is that yours is the kingdom. Yours is the kingdom. And the warning goes to the rich. And I joked about it before, but that is, usually that's what we're pursuing. I'm pursuing riches and wealth over some kind of poverty. And the cost to being rich is that Jesus says is that this will be your reward. This is all you'll get is what you fought for. And the thing I think is not about like, oh, we should all sell everything and just be poor. I don't think that's what Jesus is saying. I think what Jesus is saying is that there's a privilege to poverty. And, the, and in Matthew, he talks about it more clearly that it's not just a physical thing we're talking about. It's a spiritual poverty that we're aware of. See, the thing is you can't even enter into this kingdom that Jesus talks about. You can't duck under the gate. You can't get low enough unless you acknowledge your spiritual poverty. Unless you acknowledge that you actually can't make it on your own. 
you can't do this. You're not good enough. You're not awesome enough. You have to bend low and to say, I am poor and I need his riches and his wealth. Matthew, Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The second one Jesus talks about is hunger, is to be hungry. And he says the blessing, the benefit is long-term satisfaction. You're hungry now, but later you will be full. And the, the caution is for those who are full or well-fed now that you've traded now for later. That's what basically Jesus says. You traded now for later. And in the kingdom, I think it's not just about like being hungry, like going without a meal. I think it's talking about a longing that propels us forward. Hunger is about appetite. What's your appetite in? What's your longing in? And those who are well-fed, who are comfortable, miss out on what the kingdom's doing, on what Jesus is doing. And satisfaction comes in kingdom appetite as we set ourselves on pursuing him and his kingdom. Matthew says, blessed, in Matthew, Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. The third one is weeping and laughing. Jesus compares these two things. He gives the blessed are the weepers and woe to the laughers, right? Now, this one seems weirder to me because I'm like, well, we just talked about celebration. Are we supposed to be crying all the time? Should we not laugh? Should I be more serious? And I don't think, again, that's what Jesus is saying, that we should never laugh. But I think in this kingdom, weeping is welcome. And you know what? We live in a broken world. And if we walked around, I was, we were just talking about this this morning. If you walked around and you just put on a smiley face, say, everything's great because I'm a Christian and everything's just great all the time. Because everything's great all the time. Everything's great all the time. Everything's great. You're like, stop it. Because the truth is we live in a broken world. And if you walk around and you try to empathize or show compassion to someone by saying, everything's great all the time, it's not compassionate. And actually, we're meant to enter in. We're meant to weep with those who weep and to mourn with those who mourn. And there's a broken world. This sin has broken the world in such a damaging, horrible way that if we didn't hear about it and weep sometimes, then there'd be something wrong. We'd be shutting something important off. But true joy comes in kingdom perspective as we bring that grief to the cross and we say, thank you, Jesus, for what you're doing in the kingdom you're establishing. In Matthew, Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. They shall be comforted. And the last one was hated. That there's a great reward if you're hated, reviled, spurned. It was like a long list of horrible things. And that if you're well thought of or well respected, then that's not good because... Jesus says, basically, you sacrificed truth for popularity. Now, again, I don't think that we should all be hated. And if you're not hated enough, you should go do something annoying or be a jerk so that everyone hates you. And you can be like, see, everyone hates me. Jesus, isn't that what you meant? Because that's not what Jesus is saying. You should just be offensive all the time. What Jesus is saying that is that if you pursue the acclaim of people and men, then you're going to end up sacrificing truth for popularity. You're going to give up something important. But if you're pursuing the kingdom first and his righteousness and what he's saying for you to do, whether it's popular or not, that you will be blessed in the end. What does this mean for us? You know, our tendency would be to take these four things and to say, okay, my tendency to take these four things and to say, okay, I'm going to make a list and I'm going to do these things and then I'm going to 
be right before God. Is that what we want to do? I'm going to be poor, and in case I'm going to sell some stuff, I'm going to sleep out on the sidewalk for a little bit, and then I'm going to skip a meal because I'm supposed to be hungry, and I should cry more, so I'm going to, like, cut onions, and then I'm going to be offensive, so I'm going to just do something rude, and then I'm going to fill, I can check all my boxes. And the truth is that it's a lot more complicated than that. It's a lot more difficult than just making a list and keeping it. Because Jesus isn't talking about a list. He's talking about a system, a kingdom, that operates differently. And that's what we've got to get in our head. This would be like a different kind of company to work for. You'd be like, whoa, I've never been in a company like this. Or if it was a family, you'd say, wow, my family wasn't like this. This is so different from how my family ran things. Or I'm a new creation, I'm going to do things differently, a new life or a new country, a new political system, a new order for things. That's how Jesus lays this out. And all of this is built upon the principle of delayed gratification. So my last point is future-minded. Kingdom citizens live inside out. Kingdom citizens live upside down. And they do this because they are future-minded. They do this because they are future-minded. When Jesus gives these blessings or beatitudes, three out of four of them have some kind of reward that's down the road. It's a future reward. He says, you're hungry now, you mourn now, but you shall be satisfied. But you shall laugh. And the last one was, they may hate you and revile you and spurn you, but you should rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. That's a future reward. The stuff you endure now, you do it in order to get something far better later. They did this study. Uh, it was like back in the day, a psychological study. And it was called the marshmallow experiment. It's not very complicated. They took kids and they put them in a room with a table. And they put a marshmallow on the table. And the researcher said to the kid, if you will not eat this marshmallow while I leave the room for five minutes. When I come back, I will give you a second marshmallow. I will only give you a second marshmallow if you do not eat this marshmallow. And then they would leave the room. And of course, you can guess what the findings were, right? Like we need to do a study. I have kids. I could tell you what they would do. Some kids, as soon as the door closed, they eat the marshmallow. And other kids were like... (laughs) Uh, and they want the marshmallow, they wouldn't know, they'd fight it, fight it for three minutes, and then, ah, I can't stop. And they would eat the marshmallow. And other kids would be able to hold on for the full five minutes, and they would just wait. Maybe they were like, ah, I don't know what they look like. But they waited, they made it, and the researchers came back and gave them a second marshmallow. Now here's what, that's not the incredible part, because it's kind of, so we could assume that. The incredible thing was they, that over the next 40 years, they followed these kids and they would check in with them over a period of 40 years to find out kind of how that played out in their life. And this is what they found. The children who were willing to delay gratification and waited to receive the second marshmallow ended up having higher SAT scores, lower levels of substance abuse, lower likelihood of obesity, better responses to stress, better social skills as reported by their parents, and generally, better scores in a range of other life measures. And so what they said was, deferring gratification pays off. That was the finding. Jesus says this same thing. Deferring gratification pays off. Paul says the same thing. 
deferring pays off. This is what Paul says in Philippians 3, 8 to 11. For his sake, for Jesus' sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may, so I've suffered the loss of all these things, that I may gain Christ, that I may be found in him, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, may share in his sufferings and becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection of the dead. Paul says, I'm going to put everything in this pile and I'm going to measure it up against this, against knowing Christ, against eternity with God, being found in Jesus. And when I measure it up, everything else looks like garbage, a pile of garbage. All the best stuff I could put in there looks like garbage against the eternity pile. Immeasurable gain for eternity. And our perspective on this determines how we make decisions, how we are able to wait on the marshmallow or not. It de- helps us to know that. What, what we invest in, how we spend our money, how we spend our time, how we sp- lavish our affection. What do we love? How we see these piles helps determine where we put our stock. Francis Chan uses this illustration. I thought it was a good one. Don't worry, I'm not going to hurt you. He's got a rope. Wait a minute. It's a long rope. It stretches, actually, it stretches back behind here and goes out the door. And it goes uh, across Maple Ridge and it, it goes my, through my parents' property in Mission. And it goes out there and then it keeps going and goes through Hope and across Canada. It's a really long rope. You can picture that. And if you could picture this rope is, is your life is your existence. And this little black part with the tape, that's you on earth. Okay? The rest of the rope that stretches on through hope in the rest of Canada, that's eternity. It keeps going. This is you. And he makes this point, and it's a good one, that we spend all of our time and our energy and our focus on this. We invest so much on this and we forget about the rest of it. And these people come and they say to him, man, what are you doing? Like, you're so stupid. Look what you're doing. Look at this decision. It doesn't make any sense. And he says, no, you're so stupid. (laughs) This, look at this. This is years. This is millions. I need to live my life in the light of eternity, with the future in mind. 2 Corinthians 4, 17-18 says this very thing. Paul says, for this light momentary affliction, the black part, is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are are eternal. See, we're trading light momentary affliction for an eternal glory beyond comparison. Those are the piles Paul's talking about. This pile, which definitely seems big in the moment, 
And when we look at it in the light of eternity, we see, wow, there's a whole other thing here that is a different way of living, a different focus. Now, some of you will say, that's good and well, Jonathan, but I have to live through today. I have to live through today. I have to survive today. And that's a hard job because I'm in the middle of suffering. I'm in the middle of pain. And so actually the yellow part of the rope, that doesn't really turn my crank today because I got to get through today. Jesus talks about this. Jesus experienced suffering and he chose joy. He walked in joy. Paul lived in suffering and he chose joy. The disciples, all of them actually lived through suffering in their lives. One of the stories out of Acts 5 is the, the apostles, they all are preaching about Jesus and they all get arrested and put into jail. And then an angel appears. This is in Acts chapter 5. An angel appears and unlocks the door and they all leave. So what's the first thing they do when you get let out of prison for preaching about Jesus? What should you go and do? Go back and preach more about Jesus. So they went back to the exact same place they were when they got arrested and started preaching about Jesus again. Jesus is alive. Jesus is the Savior, blah, blah, blah. And the, so they had their meeting, the council, and then they're like, okay, bring them in. They're, oh, they're gone? Where are they gone? Where are they? Well, they're back preaching in the temple. Like, well, okay. And they bring them back in again. And they have this big interchange. And at the end of it, they decide they're not going to kill them. They're just going to beat them. So they beat them, beat them, beat them. And they're like, that'll, you know, put the fear of God into them. And they say, don't preach anymore. Be careful, you know, we just beat you within an inch of your life. And this is what it says. The disciples, then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ, that the Christ is Jesus. As they're leaving their beating, they are rejoicing. How do you do that? Jesus says the same thing. He says, people revile you, they spurn you, they reject you. Rejoice when? What does it say? Rejoice in that day. In that day. And leap for joy. For behold, that's not tomorrow. That's like today. As I'm experiencing this, I experience rejoicing today. For behold, your reward is in heaven. So the very, being able to see this eternal thing, even when you're in the midst of suffering, does bring joy. That's what it says. You can experience joy today in the midst of your difficult time because of knowing there's something else coming, because of knowing this isn't your home country. There's a better country. That's where our citizenship lies. They did a follow-up study to that marshmallow thing, and they, um, they thought, what if we trained them to trust and so before they did the marshmallow thing, they did a bunch of exercises where they, they said, if you'll wait, we'll give you something. And then they gave them something. And if you'll wait, and they made it longer and longer. And then they did the five-minute marshmallow study. Do you know what they found? Way more kids could do it. Way more kids could do it. So can we learn this? Can we come to trust God more and more and be on that journey? Yes. And over the long haul of the journey, we can trust and defer those things knowing that there's a more beautiful glory there's an eternal weight of glory coming so in conclusion being eternity minded kingdom citizens means living inside outside upside down kingdom citizens live inside outside the blessing we're looking for isn't a blessing that's out there it's a blessing that begins in our heart because jesus has saved us he reconciled us because of the love of god we experience in our lives 
And does it transform us? Yes. Should it change our lives? Yes. But it doesn't come outward in. It comes inward out. Secondly, kingdom citizens live upside down. This is a different, a different kind of kingdom. And it's going to be counter to the world we hear and, li- and live in and experience out there. It will seem weird to them sometimes. The things God would call us to do and how he'd call us to live. And lastly, kingdom citizens live with the future in mind. We're not just living for the black part. We're living for the whole thing. And what God lays out and how we can invest in eternity is the best investment possible. Let's pray. God, I thank you that, um, that you called us to be kingdom citizens. You've invited us into your family and to be uh, participants in this kingdom. And uh, that you began to lay out when you were here on earth and you were preaching and sharing about this kingdom, you were, you were laying out something that was really different. It was very upside down to people. It wasn't what they expected. It wasn't um, the culture they were used to. And Jesus, I thank you that you're calling us into that place of being transformed inside, that you want to work in our hearts, that you want to build people of character and of substance who've experienced your transformation in, inside and that that begins to change us outside. Jesus, I thank you that, um, that the, the life you've called us to, it seems upside down, and we can live it by your power and, and by your life in us. But we're not meant to live a list. We're not trying to check boxes. We're trying to follow you and to know you. And that's the greatest blessing, and it's the greatest pursuit. Lord, we thank you that, um, that life doesn't end at death, even praying with Rose's mom this week, or last week, that... Um, that life doesn't end. It's just the beginning of another part. And Lord, that we thank you that you've laid out also what we do now has an impact on how we live then. And so, Lord, our desire is to live with that in mind, to have that, that one eye up, that head up, looking forward to what's ahead. Thank you, God. Thank you for your love and for your faithfulness. Amen.